Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Amper Data Derivatives Podcast. I'm here with Simon Ho, the founder of T3 Indexes. Simon, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Super happy to have you on. So, Simon, you know, a lot of people might not know what T3 does um, and a little bit about your background, so maybe we could jump into that. But you also have a really extensive trading career in the vol space, so I'd love to explore that as well. So maybe if you just could give us a brief breakdown of T3, and then we'll jump into your background. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So, um, yeah, look, I have, when I left university, I was kind of at, um, at a crossroad. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And, but I found out I, I became, um, a junior at uh, JP Morgan in Sydney. And from that point on, I, I kind of never looked back. I mean, for me, options were and still are the best things ever. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I challenge anyone who thinks there's something better than that. But um, uh, no, I've, I've always had a, an affinity for that. And I enjoy kind of the math side of things, but also much more, I suppose, on the trading side. So, um, so my career f- has basically been in, involved largely in FX um, mm. and creating um, derivatives, and so I, I guess we, there, there's sort of two two sections for that. So the first thing was learning about options, and it was extremely formative, you know. And working for a, a firm like J.P. Morgan was was absolutely fantastic because you know there were the many really smart people, mm. uh, a lot of um, a lot of things that you can do there that you know a lot of other places weren't able to do. So from that point of view. It gave me a fantastic grounding and um, it was something that, you know, from now on until I no longer exist, uh, you know, this is something that is really um, interesting to me and uh, I've, I've really enjoyed everything about it. So, yeah, so uh, essentially um, starting off with, with trading and then I would sort of dotted around the world. So I lived in um, New York for a while, uh, Singapore, New York, uh, London, um, then moved to Goldman Sachs, um, which is, you know, quite a, a a different um, regimen, I suppose, than um, than JP Morgan. Mm. Yes, they're slightly different in terms of their outlook and so on. But still, um, my core interest was trading volatility, as you mentioned, and um, particularly at the beginning of my career was more um, focused on FX. Subsequent to that, that's when I wanted to start to reach out um, in different areas. So, um, for example, you may know that we've got a couple of indices in in uh, the crypto space, which I know is is, is a love of yours, mm-hmm. and you know um, that sort of stuff really um, floats my boat. Uh, it's it's fantastic because if you can make new derivatives for people, it just uh, multiplies the opportunities that are made that may be available. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I'll, I'll give you the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, that, that's super interesting. And just jumping back real quick, so when you were at Goldman and JP Morgan, and I think Deutsche Bank as well. Were you trading like prop or uh, was it kind of a, on a principal basis? And was it like exotic derivatives or listed markets? How did that look like? Yeah, so most of it was um, OTC in mm-hmm. FX at the beginning, especially. Um, so we did some really fantastic things there. There are some trades that um, that I don't think have been, there haven't been as many done as these as I think that it should. But basically, the, the one thing that really st- sticks in my mind, um, fairly young, I was in Singapore at that time. So I'd been uh, probably in the market, say, four years or so. And we did a, we we had the um, the central bank of, of Singapore came in and asked for a, 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 a price um, in an option and it was a, a knockout option. Now, mm. a lot of people have heard about those and they can price them up and whatever, but this thing was massive. And um, so the ability to 
um, rein it in and to make sure that, you know, I didn't blow up, for example, um, was it was palpable. Like it, it was a huge position and we got right down to the wire. So thankfully it worked out okay for me. <laughs> I'm still I'm still here. So, uh, but yeah, no, that, that was one of the most formative um, and most interesting, but also heart-wrenching things as well, because it was, it was a humongous position that was done by what's called GIC, which is, um, you know, a very big player in Singapore, um, essentially a government um, thing. And so the fact that we could do that and we live to tell the tale is, uh, was, was awesome. Wow. It could easily have gone the wrong way. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> and, and just for my understanding and the listeners as well. So a knockout option, let's say I'm a call, like a buyer of a call knockout. I want the price to rally, but I don't want it to rally past the knockout price. Otherwise yes. it goes to zero type of deal. Exactly. Exactly. And, yep. and so I assume that the uh, it went straight to that knockout price, and then you you got is that how it kind of worked out? You guys didn't have to uh, uh, pay the premium uh, essentially. Well, no, it, it, it it was a little bit. Um, it was. It, it, how, how can I say this? It, it it happened a little bit better than I had anticipated mm. because if if it had been that it would it was knocked out straight away, then it, there would be a massive delta hedge that I would have had to have um, oh, you know, laid on. So that was really the the nail biting stuff. Like, and 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 at the very end, it got really close to not going my way. And, you know, so it was one of those things where um, it could have been a train wreck. Um, as it turned out, it was not. And so um, the process of managing that though was um, was at, at some point frightening because the size of the position is huge, but also it's very difficult because it's it's a discontinuity. So it literally goes from either one to zero or vice versa, and and that. Um, that made things very difficult, you know, um, and it could have gone either way. But, you know, we managed it uh, gradually, uh, incrementally, as as we wound down the time. Um, and thankfully, we did an okay job. So, and I'm still here. So <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you've learned how to basically price exotics, price regular options. And so did this kind of background and, and insights into pricing and the math behind options essentially inspire you to found T3? Uh, is that kind of the idea? Yeah, absolutely. So the very first thing that I wanted to do was um, I was enamored with with um, the CBOE VIX, mm. uh, which you will never hear me say that now, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, because uh, I ended up creating um, uh, the corollary to that. So, um, so we think, well, ours is demonstrable. It's called Spikes. It's it's a competitor to VIX. It's been around for several years. Um, we are starting to gain traction. As you can imagine, with something that is so well-known like VIX, it's very difficult to dislodge, you know, the incumbent. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that, that's for any industry, I think, but in particular here. Um, so we, well, at least if you if you look at the, the specs of it, ours is better, tighter, faster, cheaper. And so there's a lot of reason why someone might want to look at that and compare it to, to, to VIX and to see, you know, what's, which is better. So, um, I wanted to do that because I thought, you know what, there are certain imperfections that I think we can remedy and we managed to do that, which is why I can say better, tighter, faster and, and so on. So, um, no doubt though, I mean, uh, a lot, a lot of your viewers will obviously be very, um, comfortable with VIX. Um, but over time, I, I have a feeling that people will move to, to spikes or at least, you know, be on par because, you know, there are a lot of features about it that are interesting. Uh, they're also, um, they're very similar as well to, to one another, you know. So um, from that point of view, there are a couple of things that 
are slightly differentiated, but essentially we're talking about something that is effectively 99.9% correlated to one another. So yeah, interesting. And one of the really cool things about spikes is that instead of VIX being built on top of SPX options, you guys are using SPY options. So using that SPY, the SP500 ETF, which is you know what retail traders uh, are, or basically everyone's familiar with. Uh, so that, that's a kind of a really interesting insight. How how did you guys come up to you know use spy as opposed to uh, uh, an index such as SPX? Yeah, so well, SPX is is not something. Well, that's a proprietary product, right? Mm. So only only Cibo can do that. So we had to try and find another one. Like, thankfully for us, um, SPY is kind of the most liquid thing on planet Earth, pretty much. And so we thought, well, this is a, a no brainer that this this will be able to give us the same kind of um, properties that we would that you would you use in in VIX. So from that point of view. Um, we were quite fortunate, I suppose, um, and but it was a very arduous progress uh, we, for us, or process rather for us, because the the regulator wasn't quite sure, you know, and mm. that kind of stuff. And, and so it took some time for them to approve it. Um, thankfully, they did. Um, and now, basically, there is competition in that particular space, which is the whole idea of doing this in the first place. But um, we also done, uh, since then, we also wanted to expand the product set. So if you go, um, you, can, you can go to a place called T3 Index, which is the index that I that is the page that I have. Um, you'll see we've got all sorts of different things in there from skew indices, spot from in the crypto world, but also in, in spikes. Um, you know, so there's a lot that we've been able to do, I think, that um, that investors could uh, use, you know, to help them in, in, in working out what it is that they want to expose themselves to. Yeah, that's fantastic. And then you guys uh, essentially listed spikes initially on on MyAx, the Miami exchange. Is is that right? And is it on other yes. exchanges as well? Uh, it's still it's still on the MyAx exchange. Um, we are definitely starting to get, as I mentioned, one of the difficulties is when you have an incumbent, it's it's very difficult to, mm. to you know dislodge them. It's a bit like the Pepsi and the Coke scenario. But um, uh, so, but anyway, I think we're, we're making really good progress. And um, so on. At least on that side of things, uh, we were thinking of going to do a perpetual because, um, oh, you know, that thing I think would be pretty cool um, to do a spikes perpetual. Um, obviously, you know, we, we want to make sure that it, that spikes is, is everywhere it needs to be before we do that. But, yeah, it's something that I think would be a, a nice adjunct to the, the toolkit that we could have. Yeah, that's fantastic. And maybe if you could just give us uh, a couple insights around sort of the, the business model of an index provider such as T3 without giving away any secret sauce. So one question that comes to mind is like crypto, where there's a lot of different exchanges, um, there's a lot of different exchanges that trade uh, SPY options. Do you guys connect to all the different exchanges and pipe in data all from various places or is there sort of a, a main source of truth? How does that kind of work out? Well, when you look at the underlying thing, which is SPY, um, and that's super, super liquid. Mm-hmm. So from that point of view, we're very fortunate. You know, we've got something um, that, that, as I mentioned, is probably the most liquid thing in US markets. So from that point of view, it made it relatively easy because there is so much liquidity underneath. And so therefore, you can construct these things with a great deal um, of confidence that you know you're doing it right because there's no there's nowhere that you can do it better than that you know mm. if, but using the underlying of spy it's it's um it can't really be beaten you know? 
Yeah, that's interesting. And then you guys have actually built a few other indexes. So I know Bitfall, the Bitcoin Volatility Index. I think you yes. guys have also done a Bitcoin Skew Index. Is that right? Yes, correct. Yep. And then you've also gone into sort of the more exotic markets that a lot of people don't think about. So you have the Milkshake Index, which is a milk <laughs> ball index. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's funny that you um, that you know that. To be honest with you, I'm very uh, impressed. So yeah, so um, that was through our uh, our so-called cousins in New Zealand. Um, they're, they're a big producer of milk, and mm. so I had a friend of mine who worked over there on the exchange, and I said, "Oh, why don't we do that?" Now I know that the CME, I think they have a milk um, futures as well, but uh, in this case here, we. we there are friends of mine and, and, and I said, well, why don't you do that? Because it'll give you more prominence. It'll give you some, you know, the fact people don't know a lot about milk trading, obviously. Right? Right. It's not your usual thing, um, despite the fact that CBOE, uh, the CME has it. But yeah, I just thought, well, they have a, a bit of a booming uh, business in, in milk supply. And so we, we, we put an index together for them. So That's really cool. interesting. That kind of leads me to another thought. So, you know, I guess agriculture is, is a big sort of underlying reason for futures markets. And I imagine sort of the futures markets in Australia and New Zealand and the U.S. might be a little bit different just because of different agricultural markets. But, but you know, we've seen a lot of DeFi, successful DeFi projects come out of Australia. Uh, a lot of great traders come out of Australia. How do you view sort of the Australian uh, trading, trading industry and, and prop industry compared to, say, the U.S. and New Zealand, and is there any kind of different products that that stand out to you? Right. So um, the, the first one I guess we'll tackle is is um, is the milk one in New Zealand, and I just I, I think that they're they're good at what they do, but New Zealand is very very small, and mm. you know, um, but they they do they do sort of export a lot of this milk, especially to Asia, so to mm. places like Singapore and that kind of thing. So, um, but it, it is. The, the reality is that they can't scale, you know, because New Zealand is, is relatively small and the markets, um, they obviously have export markets. That, that's that's how they make their bread and butter. But, um, yeah, so I think it's going to be slightly different. I, I, I consider that they're almost too small, you know, like if you could swamp that if, if you had people who really wanted to come in and do some trading and options and so on. Mm. It's just a bit more difficult because you then need market makers for options. You need to people. No, you, the people need to know a lot about options, which is sometimes a little bit more difficult. They are at the extremity of the world, so you know it, that makes uh, makes it a bit of a, a hurdle for them to do that. Australia is a little bit different in the, in that we're a much bigger landmass and more people here, and so um, I guess it's more uh, synced into places like Europe and the US in particular. Mm. So I think. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty good. They've got a good niche thing going, and don't get me wrong. I mean, they they sell a lot of milk, and so you know that's one of their main um, um, products that they that they they create, but less so on the, on the derivative side. So I, I put that together because I thought it would be kind of nice to have it. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 more of a gimmick than anything else. But um, it served its purpose. Yeah, that's really interesting. So. Recently in the markets, we've seen the development of zero DTEs or zero days till expiration options, which has sort of seemed to be all the rage lately. Do you have any yeah. thoughts on that? And especially as a as an index provider, is there you know a zero DTE uh, spikes index coming out or anything like that? <laughs> I can I can say unequivocally, certainly not. <laughs> so that, that's my my position on it. So. Um, yeah, so a few people have asked me that question, and I, I think that um, 
Yeah, look, I, I'm not actually a fan of it. I think mm. we've got a plethora of different tools that, that one can use uh, specifically and also um, extremely liquid which is which is important. So if you're a trader, you, the, the first thing you want to know is how how much liquidity is there. Um, what can I do? If it's too small, then it's just a waste of time, etc. So um, I think that the I may be a fuddy duddy because you know I'm you know I'm no longer a young spry. I I, I just reckon that. Um, I do not think that that's going to be a long-lasting product. Now, you'll probably get a lot of people trying to throw tins at me or whatever at the moment, but um, I, I, that's that's my feeling. And, um, yeah, I, I just I don't think it's going to be a long-run winner. Yeah, interesting. I, I was talking to a, a mutual friend of ours, Mark Sebastian, and uh, <laughs> he has the, the suspicion that we might get sort of, some sort of like uh, portfolio insurance type crash that we saw in 87 just because of some sort of momentum that if there's too much open interest or too much positioning in zero TDEs and everyone kind of gamma delta hedges on the way down and your gamma explodes in your face and then things could just crash. Do you think that's a possibility? I, I know that's been a big point of debate. Yeah, I do actually. That's mm. part of the reason why I'm not really jumping into it because I, I think that Look, um, it's unlikely, but I think it could wreak a bit of habit, havoc because um, I just don't think there's going to be enough. If, if something happens uh, for a, a contract of that size, in which case you most likely uh, included, you know, retail folks, mm-hmm. could I think it could be a potential disaster. If something bad happened during the day, People might not be might not be um, as alert, you know. Mm. If, if, you, if you're not a seasoned trader, you're not looking at your screens all the time. Maybe something could get away with from them, you know. So I, I I'm not a fan. I know that I'm going to be labelled as a fuddy duddy by many people, but I, I just I just don't see the utility. But I could see some, as you mentioned. I think that there is the possibility for some havoc potentially if and when something went precipitously badly. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So jumping back to the crypto side, so Bitvol, you guys were working pretty closely with LedgerX. Uh, I th- I imagine you still are. I know LedgerX and the FTX debacle kind of put pause on stuff, but we'll see where, where that goes. And then you guys did one of the first OTC trades, if not the first OTC trade on uh, Bitcoin volatility index. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So that was really cool. We... Um... We had a few, I think it was about three different pension plans that were on the West Coast of the US. Mm. And for whatever reason, and, and, and bless them, um, they uh, they were willing to sort of put their toe in the water. It wasn't a humongous trade, but nevertheless, as you mentioned, it was the first ever Bitvol and Ethvol contracts um, ever traded, uh, which is which is cool. Obviously, I, I would like it if it would continue to grow, um, mm-hmm. you know, but nevertheless, Look, I think it will over time. And, and whilst we've had this bump with this whole FTX thing and whatever, as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast here, it, it's still around, you know, and I, I don't think it's going anywhere anywhere um, from here. So and look, I, so I'm, I'm fairly um, bullish on the whole thing. And I think that it will become more of a thing, especially because now it's becoming more regulated. Um, I think that will lead to more people having confidence in trading it. So, you know, the guys who are out there first, you know, they might say, oh, well, that's not the way it should be, blah, blah, blah. But I, I just think that 
you have to be reasonable and and you you want to make sure that you you're delivering a product to people that it has both utility um but also has liquidity and so in some of these other cases it, it, that wasn't the case but yeah I, I was um yeah so ledger x were the people who were facilitating the trades on our behalf we had a few as i mentioned there were some west coast people but there was also some australians that were mm. involved in trading that as well which was pretty cool Cool. Yeah, there's a couple of big firms out of Australia in the crypto markets. Akuna jumps to my mind. Uh, they're they're yes. very present yeah. in this space. So one of the things that we saw during the SVB banking crisis back in March of this year is that we saw the stablecoin uh, break its peg for USDC. And so when I look at an options exchange, such as Bybit, which does uh, Bitcoin options settled in USDC versus Darebit, which is coin settled. So the options are cash settled in Bitcoin coin itself, uh, we saw a big dislocation in sort of the volatility of both pairs because of the underlying sort of uh, the quote pair essentially uh, breaking. What do you make of that? And and if you're looking at like a volatility index, um, you know, is there something to be said between uh, the volatility of these two products side by side being different or uh, some sort of additional risk in one versus the other? Um, on on that, the last point you mentioned there, um, I'm probably not as qualified for mm. that. Um, one of the things that we were doing is that we were doing um, a, a TWAP at the end of the life cycle so that, you know, everybody could, you know, get out at the same price or whatever, mm. you know, that, it, that's how many of those indices are done. And so that's the way we did it with our over-the-counter stuff. So it, I basically took the playbook that I was already comfortable with simply because I was comfortable with it. You know, I've been doing that, that kind of stuff for years. And so I know what it looks like. So for us doing a settlement auction, I think is really important. And maybe that may have helped in mm. that circumstance. Um, but then you, you have to have confidence that it is being done properly uh, in our case, you know, it was. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, that's the way I would approach it. Um, it's probably a little bit like an old school as, a, as opposed to more um, crypto style of, of things. But um, at the end of the day, you know, you, you've, you've got to find a closing price and you need to do that in an orderly manner and in, in a way that everybody um, understands and says, well, that's fair. That's that's the way it should be. And, and then you have the, the ability to um, create a platform which is recognised um, and can do the job because if, if you can't, then of course, the next time someone wants to try it, everyone's going to say, well, look, that, that's just, it's not good enough. Mm -hmm. The procedures aren't good or you, the, the settlement could be manipulated, all that kind of stuff. So that's yeah. one of the most uh, important pieces, I think, in the entire creation process when it comes to uh, creating a new derivative. Yeah, that's really interesting. And on your guys's Bitfall index, do you do you source uh, data from Deribit only or multiple exchanges? Like, how is the the index composed? Like, what are the underlying sources? Yeah, so it's a uh, multiple. I mean, I, I felt like you know, if I if I just took one, then if anything happened in that particular thing, then the whole thing would be would be dead, and and uh, so would my credibility. So yeah, it, it, I think you need to. Um, Look, there aren't that many of them, but yes, you have to you have to try and do as much as you can to make sure that it's robust and. Um, passes the tests. Cool. So, so kind of wrapping up here, usually I like to ask a few kind of more uh, insight, insightful to you uh, questions. So one of the things is, you know, as you were learning about options, uh, were there any formative books that you would recommend to to listeners that, that really helped you along your journey? Yeah, well, 
It's funny that you say that because I saw a podcast, I think it was with you and um, with our friend here, you and Sinclair. So uh, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're on that. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I find that to be um, a fantastic book. He's obviously, um, you know, super bright fellow. So, you know, yeah, that, that's one of my uh, my, my favourite market books, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> the Volatility Trading by Ewan Sinclair. Yeah, I would say that's probably one of my favourite ones too. Not his favourite, but one of, one of mine as well. So that's great. <laughs> And uh, when you're not running T3, uh, is there anything you like to do outside of work? Um, well, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, so I, I, um, I, I try to do a lot with um, um, projects to sort of protect uh, Australian wildlife and stuff oh, like cool. that. So that's quite interesting to me. Um, so that's something I like to do outside of things. So, for example, we... Uh, last year we launched two ETFs and um, the, the notion with that is that um, at the end of the year, we're going to donate 5% of whatever that ETF made, um, you know, and, and give that to the people who look after, you know, the na native animals and that kind of stuff. So cool. that's sort of something I, I'm pretty um, keen on. So, for example, I mean, it's just weird, like, you know, koala bears, for example, they're super cute and blah, blah, blah. And, but, you know, they're under um, a great deal of threat. So mm. we thought, well, why don't we do that? It's not really ESG. It was more like, you know, let's let's do what we can to raise some money by doing this product uh, and using that money to um, help the, you know, fauna and flora uh, in, in the country. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll have to come out to Australia sometime. It's definitely on my bucket list. And I know you guys have some pretty <laughs> crazy looking spiders out there as well. So I want to check those out too. <laughs> They're not that bad. It's all right. <laughs> well, Simon, thank yeah, you. Yeah, but we'd love. Oh, good. Sorry, I was going to say we'd love to have you down here anytime. Yeah, absolutely. I'll I'll definitely make sure to do that. Well, Simon, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I think our listeners learned a lot, and uh, everyone who tuned in, thank you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks very much.